0: you're listening to chief executive ante the podcast about the work lives of asian americans beyond the conventional doctor lawyer and engineer i'm your host jennifer dwan faults and this is a mini episode where i share tips tricks hacks rants and perspectives on freelancing from an asian american point of view and today i want to talk about giving yourself a raise, which is a often lauded goal for freelancers and creatives. But the sticking point on that is that in order to give yourself more money, you need to make more money. And that usually means taking on more work. And so there's a running joke that entrepreneurs and freelancers are the only ones who will work 60 hours a week to avoid working 40 hours a week. And I would argue that in many cases, giving yourself more time might be just as important as giving yourself more money. And by making your business more efficient, you can raise your hourly wage, even if your total income doesn't change. And that means you can give yourself more long weekends, vacation time, mental health days, all of that stuff. And I was thinking about this because I recently made it pretty far in the interview process for a full-time job. And the stability, not to mention, not having to do my own marketing anymore, uh, was incredibly appealing, and it was an interesting role at a really neat company. But one thing that really gave me pause was the salary. Yes, it was more money in a year than I've ever made freelancing, but it also required me to work full time, which I haven't done since becoming a parent. And it just made me think, would I rather make thousand dollars in 40 hours or I don't know, 700 in 20 hours. And for those without a calculator, that's $25 an hour versus $35 an hour. And I realized that in most cases, I'd rather have the extra time and make a bit less money overall. Um, And in in the before times, it was possible to trade money for more time uh, by hiring someone to clean the house or babysit or. But right now, just a lot of those options aren't available to us. So working more hours just means less time. Um, and more money for later, of course, which I don't want to downplay. Um, but for me, no one can take my place as a parent or partner. Like I can't, like money can't buy that. And so for me, time is pretty much always more valuable than money. Um, there's probably exceptions to that when we get to certain large amounts of money and you can buy lots and lots of time, but again, that's not those are not really options for us and just that's not really what we value as much now if you need or want the money and have the time to work more that's totally fine too i just i just want to encourage you to think about the value of your time not working as well as the money that you bring in you know in other words like how much vacation time long weekends mental health days do you want to be able to give yourself Most business owners that I've met didn't start their business in order to make loads and loads of money, although that isn't to say we shouldn't generate plenty of profit. The majority of entrepreneurs that I know do what they do in order to A, spend their work time doing something they enjoy, and B, have flexibility and time off for caregiving, hobbies, self-care, travel, what have you. And so the amount of time it takes to make the money matters just as much, if not more than the amount of money itself. And I think that gets lost sometimes. I can run a marathon over the course of four days, (laughs) but no one's going to give me a medal for that, right? I mean, pacing matters. Um, As of September 1st, 2020, my year-to-date income surpassed what I made in all of 2019. And So I decided to take November largely off from client work, and I really, really, really needed the break. And I'm not sure any amount of money would have made it worth pushing through this month. I mean, I'm sure there's some amount of money, but I don't think it's likely to, likely to come my way. And I, you know, and I realized over the past couple, well, this whole year, really, I think that efficiency is one of my, I don't know, just things that I value, I I don't like wasting time, I don't like wasting resources, I don't like wasting money. Um, <clears throat> and so I'm always looking for ways to raise my bottom line hourly rate, which is computed by dollars over time spent working. And if you remember fractions, I can increase the overall rate either by increasing the income while working the same amount of time or reducing the amount of time worked while keeping my income the same or more. And upping your upping your overall rate is often harder than just increasing your revenue because you have to do more and accomplish more in the same amount of time. But here are a couple strategies I found helpful when working to become more efficient in your business. And the number one thing, which I just recommend for everybody in general is tracking your time. And At this point, every freelancer that I meet, I will, if you ever talk to me, I will talk to you about tracking your time. Um, Knowing where your time goes will help you do a lot of things. It'll help you set your prices appropriately. You will be able to identify and hopefully fix holes in your productivity It might even reduce procrastination. I'm generally fairly focused and motivated, but knowing that I have a clock running on a task can prevent me from scrolling off. It's not perfect, but it helps. And I don't charge hourly anymore. And I generally don't recommend except in a few very specific situations charging hourly. But time tracking also helps me know how much time I spend on billable client work versus non billable admin, bookkeeping, marketing, networking, all that other stuff. And the higher the ratio of billable to non billable time, the higher your hourly sort of bottom line rate is going to be. Uh, number two, um, structure your work day or week or season as, as the case may be. And this is going to look different for everyone, but having some sort of predictable structure to your work day, uh, or week or season or year, um, can really help you stay on track. It, um, when you batch similar tasks together, there's less energy and attention lost when switching from, one thing or one area to another, to another, to another. Um, and this is something that I've been working on pretty much my whole freelance career for the last almost four years. Um, I have done my best now to schedule all my calls, um, my in-person appointments, you know, doctor appointments, whatever, um, on Wednesdays. And when that's not possible, I, at the very least, keep my Tuesdays and Thursdays as just total heads down work days. Again, there's always exceptions, but I really do my best to keep those days, you know, just for me to do my work. Um, and they can certainly make for really long Wednesdays. Um, I think the most calls I've had in a day is four and my workday is about six hours. So that's a lot of talking, (laughs) but the uninterrupted time I get on the Tuesdays and Thursdays as a result of that is absolutely worth it for me. So take a look at the recurring patterns in your work life. You know, maybe you have a client that you meet with every two weeks. Can you schedule that on the same day? Can you get those on the calendar ahead of time and just have it be set? Um, Maybe you have seasonal ebbs and flows in your workload. Um, Plan ahead for those and don't schedule a bunch of other stuff during your busy season, um, if at all possible, so that you have a little bit more of that balance. Um, because the th- another, you know, so another thing that reduces your efficiency is being tired. <laughs> you know, there's always a point of diminishing returns where it's like, yes, I could keep working, but I'm going to be so slow, that it's better for me to just rest and start over the next day or start over the next week. And only you only you know where that point is going to be. But consider that as well. Uh, number three streamline your processes and operations and I know it can be really tempting to reach for software and gadgets and online courses <laughs> that promise more efficiency, but make sure you examine your underlying processes first. Don't just buy tools, you know, willy-nilly because they're advertised to you on Instagram. Not that I've ever done that before. Um, and sometimes this is tricky because you may not even know what improvements are possible until you get a tool that makes the improvements possible, but try to figure out exactly where you're getting tripped up in the process. So don't just say, oh, I hate bookkeeping, let me hire an accountant. I mean, yes, this is generally a good move, but if your issue is recording expenses, you know that accountant can't follow you around 24 seven tracking what you spend. Um, a system for filing email receipts automatically into a folder might do more to solve the actual issue. Um, And, and this takes time to figure out kind of how you work and what tools, um, match up best with that. Some of my favorite operations tools include Calendly for appointment scheduling, um, Timular for time tracking. If you're watching the video version of this, it's this, it's a stupid little gadget, um, that I can turn. And actually that reminds me that I need to set this to podcast, um, And I I like the gadget. The app is not my favorite time tracker of all time. Um, So I kind of have to work around that. And and, I mean, yeah, that's the frustrating part is finding the right tools that are going to work for you. Um, I also really like and pretty much almost universally recommend uh, Dubsado, which is an online business management software um, for sending proposals, contracts, invoices and more. Um, Having a system, having a process to just get the... Admin stuff done can really, really improve your overall efficiency. Uh number four, specialize in order to standardize. And I've always been kind of a gen of all trades. Um, I've done everything in my business from designing logos to building websites to blog, writing blog posts, to copywriting, to content marketing, all of these things. And I did most of these things like well enough. but it was actually fairly quite inefficient to have so many service options because every time a lead came in and asked for a new service type, sure, yeah, I could figure out how to do the work, but I also had to figure out a new process for this type of work. Pricing, documentation, I got to set up a new type of proposal. And just like bridesmaids dresses, I never actually used most of these things twice. If I look in my uh, business management software and the back end of my website, there's just a graveyard of packages and sales pages and forms and things that I just that I made once or twice and used once or twice, but never touched again. Um, and so about two, maybe less than that two years ago, um, I started paring away the things that I was okay, but not great at and partnering with specialists who could do a much better job. So one of those things is branding. Um, I'm not good at it. I'm just (laughs) I really am not good at it. I do not enjoy the process. Um, And so I started partnering with brand designers um, for clients for website clients who needed uh, branding done and oh my gosh, it was it was so good because they got to do what they were great at. I got to do what I was great at. And I didn't have to do the things that I'm not great at and don't enjoy. It was awesome. Um, and then after I kind of shaved off some of the things that I really just didn't enjoy and wasn't great at doing, um, I and it took a couple of false starts to figure out the right one, but I took my most frequently booked service and turned it into a standardized package that serves a specific need. And that's the one day website. Now, there's always room to add to that package, but that was the baseline process and price from which everything started. So I was able to set up one standard proposal um, and then just modify the timeline and other details as needed instead of writing a custom proposal every single time. Um, I had a baseline price uh, to go from and different things that I could add on to it, um, again, rather than trying to figure out pricing from scratch every single time. And So choosing a specialty and then crafting packages around that specialty um, will really save you a lot of time and energy reinventing the wheel every other week. Um, And now it takes time to become familiar enough with your clientele and yourself and the work that you like to do. Um, It takes time to be able to create those specialized packages. But I would say once you've gotten a year or so under your belt um, and tried a couple different kind of packages, I really recommend taking some time to hammer out a couple standard offers. Um, It makes it easier for clients too, because, you know, we think that clients want lots and lots of choices. They actually don't. They want a solution. And if you can package up your skills and expertise and time to offer that solution, that's all they need. They don't need 600 different options. They really don't um, because the more decisions that you make, the more decisions that you ask them to make, the less likely they are to make the final decision to book you. So um, kind of having those having those standard options available cuts down that decision fatigue a lot. Um, and again, there's always room for customization. so don't feel like you're stuck um, you know with just those things, but it's really good to have a starting point. Uh, Number five, outsourcing. And this is where I think a lot of entrepreneurs tend to fall down. uh, Because we think, oh my gosh, nobody else can nobody else can do what I do. Um, And that's just not true. (laughs) And I actually first learned about the value of our outsourcing from uh, an otherwise kind of terrible employer, um, who tried to cheat me out of four thousand dollars in wages but that's a slightly different story um and after every deal that she did she would sit and tally an estimate of how much time she spent Uh, showing houses, negotiating the contract, holding open houses, coordinating inspections, all that uh, for that particular transaction. And she always had a line in there for my time spent making flyers, posting photos, doing general admin related to that client. And now she valued her time from 150 to $300 per hour, depending on what the task was. And she valued my time at $21 per hour. And that actually isn't totally unfair because I certainly didn't have the knowledge to negotiate a home sale um, or the professional network to bring in a buyer. She had a lot of flaws, but she did understand that wrestling with Microsoft Publisher was not the best use of her time. So she eventually paid me to do it instead. And I think as freelancers, we may feel that, oh no, no one else can possibly understand what we're doing, but that's often a disservice to ourselves and our clients. Is the client paying you to deliver the amazing results you're capable of achieving, or are they paying you to fiddle with your stupid website for five hours? Um, and you know, yes, technically your pricing should cover your overhead time, but Is it really the best use of your time and talent? So go through your time logs, go through your processes and look for things that can either be automated or outsourced. And yes, good help is hard to find. That's probably a whole different other episode. Um, But, you know, think and it it doesn't always have to be VAs, VA, like virtual assistant type stuff. Um, I I outsourced proofreading a transcript um, that I was going to put into a deliverable for a client. $35 $35 I ever spent. Um, and it's, I think it's hard to find a VA who can do all, a lot of different things. Um, I like, I would, lo- I would love to outsource video production. Probably that's probably going to be the next thing that I do. Um, I've outsourced sort of the audio editing for my podcast and, um, And like I said, it can be tough to find somebody who can do all of those things. And so you might be better off finding someone, again, specialists who, you know, one person who does all my proofreading, one person who does my video editing, one person who does my social media, that sort of thing Um, that might be worth considering as well. I think sometimes people get stuck trying to find one person who can do all of the things for their business. And that is not always a realistic expectation or the best solution for the problem. So something to keep in mind. Um, number six, and this is an important one, it's pre qualifying your clients. And in the earliest days of my business, my projects came from a site called Upwork. And it was kind of it was basically like a job board. Um, and it was It was outbound for me, so I would go and bid on different projects. And I was pretty picky about what I sent bids in for, so my acceptance rate was actually relatively high, uh, probably above 50%. Um, And sites like Upwork get a really bad rap because you kind of shotgun and apply to a bunch of different projects and you never hear back from them. And so being picky, actually was kind of a benefit for me. Um, so if you are if you are doing sort of outbound prospecting um, and sending cold bids on sites like Upwork, make sure that the budget, the client type, the project type and timeline really match your needs and your skills um, so that you're not chasing dozens and dozens of shitty projects all the time. Um, and after about six months, six, nine months in business, um, my sort of, project workflow or not, you know, my lead workflow kind of turned around. Um, and so that the vast majority of my projects came from inbound leads. And so these are people, uh, usually referrals, um, or people that I meet in various professional groups who come to me instead of me having to go to them. And I'm super grateful for that. But for the first, again, probably two years or so, um, and as an aside, it is totally normal to, kind of flail around for the first two years. And so if, and that sort of laboratory phase is really important. Um, and I don't think you can skip it. So, you know, yes, there are ways to kind of learn the lessons more quickly. Um, but you got to give yourself time to just muck around in it too. But anyway, so for the first two years or so of my business, I, did get frustrated because I was burning a lot of time on calls and meetings and putting together proposals for clients only to discover that I was either way out of their budget or they were just window shopping and not really committed to the project. I would spend eight hours writing a proposal. Um, t- track your time on proposals because those are major time sinks where they can be. You know, I'd spend eight hours on a proposal, send it, and then just like nothing. Um, and so I learned to ask questions about budget and timeline and what do they already have in place, um, in that preliminary email exchange. And eventually I moved it onto my intake form, um, which is just a fancy word for saying the con well, there, there are two different types. There is the sort of contact me general inquiry form that you can put on your website. Um, And then I have an intake form that's a little bit that's not open on my website. Um, And I just send that to people when they come to me. But anyway, um, the contact me form on your website is a really, really good place to ask a few basic qualifying questions. I think most people just do like name email message, but that's a wasted opportunity to get a lot of important information. So if you're an events-based business, you know, on that contact form, ask them what date they have in mind. Uh, Even if they haven't decided for sure, it will get them to start thinking about it before you actually take the time to get on a call with them. Um, And it shows that you mean business. It shows that you're not available every single day. um, And that if they want to work with you, they need to get their ducks in a row and be ready to work together. Um, If you're a coach or a consultant, ask them what they most want to improve, and how and by when, and this will help you determine whether you can actually help them. You can even set up um, sort of like a pay to play mechanism where any and every potential client must pay you to complete an audit or some other kind of discovery process. And this will instantly weed out the looky-loos who are just browsing and don't know what they want or you know the brain pickers right and you'll actually get paid to scope the project and I'll probably talk more about this in another episode but bottom line is you cannot and should not try to serve every client who comes your way make sure that a lead is qualified before you invest time, you know, getting on a call with them or putting a proposal together, which I don't think you should do unless you have a call with them. But that's, again, another episode. Um, And number seven, raise your value. And I saved this one for last, even though raising prices is often the first thing people think about when they want when they decide they want to earn more money. Um, And I save this for last because a client because a client will not care that you need to make more money they're ma- they're not they're not there to give you money they're there to get their needs met and so you always need to frame your pricing in terms of the value you deliver to them you can't say to them hey i want to make more money so this project is going to be more expensive that's not going to work <laughs> And you don't have to explain your pricing per se. You don't have to tell them. I see this with photographers a lot. You know, it takes me four hours. You know, four hours to edit your thirty-minute mini session. Like they don't care, and they're also going to say that's your problem, not their problem. Why should they pay you for that? Um, you know, you. So you don't have to. You don't have to explain your pricing, but you do you do need to have a reason for your pricing. Um, And again, you always wanna frame your prices in terms of the value that you're delivering. So maybe, and you don't, again, you don't have to explain this necessarily, but maybe raising your rates means you can hire a VA to tackle some of the admin work so that you can spend more time on client service. Or, you know, if you you book a $15,000 project, That means you can dedicate an entire month to that one client instead of dividing your attention among, you know, three $5,000 projects and there's, and yes, it's the same amount of money, but there's just always, there's just always that like sideways energy that gets burned when you're switching from one, one client, one project, one task, whatever to another. And so you know, if you can, if you can focus on one client, you know, and if it were me, I would honestly be like, okay, if you give me $12,000, I will give you this entire month because that's, that's three projects that I don't have to go get. I can just get one client and stay with them for the whole month. And that's makes me a lot more efficient, efficient enough that I can even take some money off of the project fee. Um, And the thing is, when you reach a certain level of skill and you serve a certain type of client that values, um, that they themselves are at a certain level of skill in their field, I think oftentimes the differentiating factor is no longer how good you are at the work, but how seamless your process is, how well you can guide them through it, how completely you can take this task off their plate and make sure it's done Right and on time, and in the way that they want. And so, you know, as much as I yak about creatives pricing themselves professionally and profitably, you still have to earn those rates, right? You can't start a business tomorrow and demand the same price that someone who's been doing it for 10 years has and you know and experience is not the you know years of experience is by far not the only you know factor in pricing so I don't want you to think that but you have to earn the higher rates and again it's usually it's not always just experience or skill level a lot of times it comes down to the amount of care that you can give to a client it's those, those sort of like soft skill things and so the funny thing is kind of just to bring it all back together, you know, niching down to a few specific offers, streamlining your processes, getting really good and really fast at what you do. All of that, yes, makes you more efficient internally, but it also allows you to deliver better customer service to the client because you're not you know, instead of spending an hour flailing around with your bookkeeping, you can respond to their email that much faster, you can deliver the work that much faster. So that sort of thing. And so I, you know, if you if you go through all of these six, seven things, and work on them, that in itself will make you more valuable to your client and justify, you know, raising your prices. So if you think back to the hourly rate equation, ideally, you change both factors, you increase the amount of money that you bring in and you decrease the amount of time that you work um, and but if you but if you only can pick one or the other um, i i suggest giving it a shot on trying to re- decrease your hours um, because your time is the most valuable thing that you have and you can never get more You can, most of the time, you can always get more money somehow, sell a kidney, you know, whatever. Don't sell a kidney, please. (laughs) Um, But you can never get more time. And so set up your business, including but not limited to your prices, in a way that respects your time. Um, So if you have any questions about this, you can send me a text or voicemail 614-585-2289 or let me know what other topics you would like to hear about. Thanks. Bye.